Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Hello and welcome to Oh God, Ramian, the show that proves evolution wrong by devolving daily. <laughs> this is your host, Brom French. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at 210-854-8029. You'll have a better chance now than you were previously when I was in upstate New York. Now I am in Baltimore. However, being in Baltimore means that I am at a conference and will be uh, tied up until Friday. And uh, then after that, Saturday, I'll be in Tennessee, Saturday and Sunday, and then I'll be heading home, Lord willing. If you want to reach me by email, you can reach me at the letter B, the letter F, the at sign, B-R-A-H-M-F-R-E-N-C-H dot com. That is B-F at Bromfrench dot com. So uh, we have heard that uh, the Russians now believe that there was a bomb aboard their aircraft that crashed in Egypt. ISIS is claiming control, claiming that they uh, were the ones that sent it down, that they planted this bomb. What a surprise. We would never see this coming. Although I will tell you, with Putin in charge, ISIS is asking for trouble. If you're going to attack someplace, don't attack where they're strong. But uh, hey, more power to them and uh, maybe more power to Russia. We shall see. The fourth Republican debate was Tuesday night. But if you'll wait just a little longer, we will have commentary with the one and only Brianna French, and uh, who gives great commentary. And you don't know what you believe until you listen to Brianna. <laughs> She'll be sure to tell you what she thinks and what you should think, which reminds me a little bit of the one and only Brom French. Very proud of that young lady. <laughs> now, apparently, other news, apparently there is a man-made sinkhole in Mississippi. If you missed it, there's, oh goodness, probably about a dozen cars is what it looked like, fell into the sinkhole just outside an IHOP in Mississippi. They say that the drainage wasn't secured right and there was water seeping through and the red clay gave way and uh, the vehicles then slid into the hole and uh, thankfully nobody was injured. That is always great news, but uh, it just goes to show when you think you're standing on solid ground, be careful. <laughs> so I got an, another great text from our NSA, our non-transvestite NSA operative, and uh, he sent me a picture, and this is from the comical conservative can be found on Facebook. It's a picture of a car that has a coexist sign. If you don't know what the coexist sign is, it's, uh, it's a mix of Muslim, Christian, Jewish, um, Hindu, just a whole bunch of different religions all coming together saying that let's all just get along. The, it's a blue car. It's got a picture of the coexist. The picture is a blue car with a coexist bumper sticker and another bumper sticker underneath that that says, keep the immigrants, deport the Republicans. <laughs> so this is what the comical conservative posted alongside this pic. 
Liberals are funny. They can coexist with rapists, kidnappers, beheaders, hijackers, women haters, or women beaters, gay killers, child molesters, pirates, slave owners, but not Republicans. <laughs> Touche, comical conservative. Touche. Liberals can get along with everybody unless you happen to be Republican and, God forbid, you happen to be a Christian. That for sure is the mark of idiocy. They are scared to death of Christians. Now, I'm not so sure they're scared to death of Republicans, if I'm going to be honest, because what have the Republicans done as of lately to make anybody fearful? We have given in to every demand, and I'm speaking of our representatives, we have given in to every demand that this current administration has asked, and uh, then we've gone above and beyond. We've said, let's out-liberal the liberals. If you want to know why Nixon lost the presidency to JFK, because he could not out-liberal the liberals. And if you're going to try to out-liberal them, you're going to look like a buffoon, and you might as well switch parties. But uh, then I uh, digress. Same difference, I guess. So let's move on to some other news. Louisiana is in an uproar because of a shooting. A young boy, I believe six years of age or something like that, was shot and killed by police. But there are no protests in the streets. Why? Because the boy was white and the cops were black. Interesting how we're not protesting this one. Now, the, the uh, officers have been arrested and uh, we'll have to see how this comes out. The father nor the child were armed. There were no arms on the victims. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. In other news, here in Missouri, or I shouldn't say here, I guess in Missouri, the land of Fruit Loops and Loons, apparently, uh, and cowards, by the way, school protest, the college, if you haven't heard, has gone on protest and they got the principal, no, not the principal, the president of the school to resign. <laughs> Why did he resign? Because somebody drove past and yelled maybe the N-word at somebody that went to the school. It was one story. <laughs> Wasn't even on school grounds. And a couple other things that the president did not act quickly enough to dissolve these racial protests and riots. And they, stories also say that, <laughs> this is crazy, one white guy walked into a group of, what I think, 11 black people from my herd and uh, used the N-word there. And so because of that, the president of the school resigned. This is absolutely absurd. The, the students went on protest. The football team said they're not going to play. And uh, which would then cost the school a million dollars per game. And they said they will not play basically until their issues have been handled. And so one of their issues was the principal had to resign. What a bunch of lunacy. <laughs> I, and I, I've heard uh, a couple different people that were thrilled and happy to see that finally the chickens have come home to roost in uh, colleges and universities. They're saying that they have propagated propagated this propaganda and uh, this is what you sow you reap and so now they are getting their just reward this will not be the last time i believe it's just the start of something that will be uh, will be going on with more college campuses more universities however 
I do not personally believe that it is a positive thing. I do not believe that um, because now recognize that these that have come out of university have set the world ablaze with idiocy, with political correctness, with uh, things that are just so contrary to common sense. However, that being stated and that being understood, what happened in Missouri is not conducive to a productive American environment. It will not help us in the long run. As a matter of fact, it will most likely do more harm than good because these citizens, these students are going to come out and they're going to be citizens, but they are not going to be fruitful, productive citizens. They are going to be protesting citizens and they're going to be protesting against some of the dumbest things on the planet. So-and-so, that oriental person looked over at me with squinty eyes and so I'm going to protest the Chinese restaurant and make the owner of the Chinese restaurant quit. Just plain ridiculous. But hey, welcome to 2015, almost 2016 America. Let's see just how ridiculous we can be. Speaking about ridiculous, that uh, Joshua Fernstein or uh, Frankenstein or whoever he is, uh, so-called internet preacher, is now uh, protesting Starbucks. And in protesting Starbucks, he went out and he asked for a coffee, paid, what, $4 for it, and trying to get more people to go protest Starbucks by buying coffee there. <laughs> Please do me a favor and protest this show by listening. <laughs> nonsense is this? Let's protest by giving the company our money. That makes a whole lot of sense. You know, now his protest is he went and asked for coffee and they're not, uh, they have intentionally gone out of their way to have a yellow, uh, excuse me, red cups that uh, do, do not have any snowflakes or Christmas trees or any of the sort and then ask for it and give your name as Merry Christmas and that's your protest. <laughs> and the reason he's doing it is, I, I guess, to protest their funding of Planned Parenthood or maybe their uh, decision against Christmas. Well, nonetheless, if we've got enough idiots to do this, Starbucks is going to be making money, not losing money. You knuckleheads. <laughs> if you're going to protest, do a proper protest. But then again, uh, I hope Josh will protest my show, this podcast, and see, uh, I'll be very upset and very frustrated if uh, we've got 400,000 or, you know, 4 million protesters that then tune in. <laughs> Maybe I can get some Muslims to protest. Tell you what, when we come back, we'll go through the Quran and then we'll go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. We are back. You know, the Bible says that effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I have known some that have taken this passage and have twisted the meaning of it thereof. 
to try to mean that only prayer is necessary. And though I do firmly believe in prayer, as a matter of fact, that's what brings me to Baltimore, is the necessity of prayer. It's a prayer conference that I'm at. But to step, stop short of action is fallacy. To say that only prayer matters would mean then that Jesus doing miracles matter not, or that Jesus going to Calvary did not matter. To say that only prayer matters would also then disavow what the disciples went through, what the disciples did. Prayer does matter. Prayer is significant. It is important. It is vital. But on top of prayer, we must be willing to put action behind our words. Don't just tell Jesus how much you love him. He asked Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Conversation went on three different times or three times the question was asked and the answer was given. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Action always follows the love and the communication. If you love the Lord, you'll talk to him, but you will also back it up with action. Oh, come on. There it is. Let's do it. The sound of the car crash, the collision, if you will, that is Christianity and Islam or Chrislam or Islam and Judaism or Islam and sanity. We are in the second chapter in English is termed the cow, uh, not a holy cow by any stretch of the imagination. We are in verse number 77 of the second chapter. And this is what it says. Know they, the Jews, not that Allah knows what they conceal and what they reveal. And there are among them, Jews, unlettered people who know not the book, but they trust upon false desires and they but guess. Then woe to those who write the book with their own hands and then say, this is from Allah, to purchase with it a little price. Woe to them for what their hands have written and woe to them for what they have earned thereby. So remember, we are looking at, they've been spending quite, Mohammed has been spending quite a bit of time focusing on the Jewish people and uh, gotten all kinds of crazy things wrong and say, do you remember? And <laughs> if you want to remember, go back to the Torah, right? Because that's the Jews' actual writing. But when you go back to the Torah, you find that what Allah is supposedly telling Mohammed or uh, what Mohammed is saying he's heard from Allah is nowhere in the Torah. There's no resemblance of what the Torah says. And so now we're at verse 77. Know they Jews, not that Allah knows what they conceal and what they reveal. The problem is there's no such thing as Allah. And so no Allah doesn't know squat. Allah is only as dumb as the man that made it up, Muhammad. But uh, then again, I guess maybe I show a little prejudice there. Let's go on to verse 78. And there are among them Jews, unlettered people. <laughs> this kills me. Unlettered. Basically, he's trying to say uneducated, unlearned, uh, illiterate. They can't read. They can't write. These Jewish people, they're the ones that are illiterate. <laughs> Uh, hello, how many women in Islamic nations can read? Um, how many men, for that matter, can read in these ex Islamic nations? <laughs> and the Jews are the ones that are illiterate. <laughs> Give me a break. The uh, Muslims live in the 6th century, 6th, 7th century. Uh, 
Oh, goodness. But it's the Jews that are unlettered people who know not the book, <laughs> but they trust upon false desires and they but guess. So now remember that in the first chapter, the Jews were, or earlier, yeah, I think it was the first chapter, maybe it was the second. The Jews were great people that were destined and designed by God. They, they were set apart. They were, um, I believe the term that was used was successful. The Christians and Jews were both successful. But here we're saying, well, that's really not so much the case can't help but recognize that. He says, and among them Jews, unlearned people who know not the book, but they trust upon false desires and they but guess. So now the Jews are making it up. And of course, Muhammad, everything he says is uh, gospel. <laughs> well, give me a break. Then woe to those who write the book with their own hands and then say, this is from Allah. So now he's condemning those that wrote the Torah because he's speaking specifically about the Jewish people here. He's not speaking about Christianity at this point. So he's attacking the Torah and yet says that they're successful people. He's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. You are successful as long as you do and say and act exactly how I tell you. And if you worship the way I tell you to worship and you say what I tell you to say. Who then, uh, let's go, let's continue. Then, Woe to those who write the book with their own hands and then say, this is from Allah, to purchase with it a little price. So God forbid that, you know, Jews, uh, they're making money. <laughs> Heaven forbid, that's probably the worst thing that could ever happen. Woe to them for what their hands have written. Now, what have their hands written? Well, they wrote the Torah. They wrote the Old Testament. God forbid what their hands have written and woe to them for, that they earn, for what they earn thereby. So God forbid that they make a living and that they produce anything. What a crazy, messed up doctrine of devils. Hold on just a second. When I come back, we'll go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sin to reproach to any people. And we are back, and you are still listening to Of God and Man, you lucky, lucky people. And we're about to go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. We're in Genesis, Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick up at verse number 15, and we're going to go all the way down to verse number 16. <laughs> From 15 to 16, Genesis chapter 41, verse number 15, the Bible says this, and Pharaoh said, unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, if we're going to back up, you're going to have to back up several chapters by this point. But if you back up, you will find where Joseph has a dream where stars bow and crops bow and uh, 11 of each bow to him. 
and he brags about this dream. He brags to his father. He brags to his brethren. His brethren throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery, and he winds up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. And then his wife accuses him of rape, and Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of rape, and now Joseph is in prison, and while he's in prison, he finds the butler and the baker, and they have dreams. He answers their dreams. The butler is now back with Pharaoh, and so two full years have passed, and now he's with Pharaoh and remembers Joseph and calls Joseph back to remembrance and tells Pharaoh about him. Now, why is this important? Because the dream that Joseph had, he bragged about. He talked about how great this is. And now we're going to see that there is growth that has transpired through all the difficulty, through all of the challenges. We see the growth. That, and one of the first signs when you go back when the butler and the baker have the dream. And they are telling Joseph. But before they tell Joseph, Joseph answers and he says, Are not dreams to be interpreted by the Lord? Is not the Lord, is not God the interpreter of dreams? And so now all of a sudden, now before when he was with his brethren, he says, hey, I had a dream and this is what happened. You're going to worship me or you're going to bow down before me and I'm going to be in a place of authority. But now he's recognizing he himself is not the interpreter of dreams, but God is the interpreter of dreams. There's been a slight shift that has transpired in Joseph's mindset and in his thinking. It's no longer how great he is, but it's how great God is. First, he had the interpretations. Now it's the Lord has the interpretations. And now when he's with Pharaoh, he says, hey, it's not me. It's not in me to give the interpretation. Verse number 15, let's go back and we're going to look at it a little closer. Verse number 15, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. And so they have called the right man. They call Joseph who is a dreamer. Because if you're going to have an interpretation from a dream, you're going to need a dreamer. And so they have called Joseph. And Pharaoh says, I have dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. Nobody can answer my dream. Nobody can tell me what is going on. And I have heard say of thee. So now the word has gotten back to me. Now recognize how did the word get back to him? How did Pharaoh hear about this? Pharaoh heard about this because when Joseph was in jail, he was not above ministering to fellow cellmates, to fellow jailmates. A lot of times we get in difficult situations and we clam up because of our dilemma. But Joseph, in his dilemma, used it, or allowed the Lord to use it, rather, to bless somebody else. And because he blessed somebody else while he was in his dilemma, the Lord would raise him into Pharaoh's house. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We get into situations and, oh my God, our world is falling apart and we moan and cry and we gripe and we murmur and we complain and nothing is right. But here Joseph is in probably the worst time of his life and he's ministering to somebody else. And in his ministry to somebody else, it eventually, two years after the man is released, he's going to remember Joseph and that because Joseph ministered two full years 
earlier. God's going to bring back to his remembrance, the remembrance of the butler, and bring him back into Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh's dreams say, I've heard about you. I heard that it's been said about you that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. I've heard a rumor that you understand and you can interpret dreams. And here is where we see the growth of Joseph. Because Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. In other words, I cannot do it by myself. It's not by my intellect. It's not by my power. It's not by my strength. It's not because I'm superior in knowledge. It does not come by me. This is one of the problems we have with some that are used in the gifts of the Spirit. Because they begin to think that it is something special about them. And they begin to sing their own praises and begin to love the sound of their praises entering their ears. Tell me how good I am. Tell me how I walk with the Lord. Tell me my greatness and I'll be sure to explain to you that I hear from God. But Joseph doesn't act like that. Joseph says, it's not in me. If I'm used by God, it's because of God's mercy. It's because of God's grace that he can look past my faults and my failures. He can look past the fact that I'm a braggart that my own family couldn't stand. That's basically what Joseph is saying. It's not because of me. Sometimes he uses us in spite of us, not because of us. He uses us in spite of our frailties, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our lack of sincerity or our lack of integrity. Joseph answers Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. It's not because of me. It's not because of who I am. It's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm gifted. But God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. God will answer. The Lord from heaven will reach down. If we could only have this understanding, how much more would our ministry multiply and grow how much more effective could we be? Because if it's not of me, then it really doesn't matter if it's liked or if it's not liked. If it's not of me and if it's of God, then what do I care if you get offended? I'm only a vessel, only a messenger. If it's not of me, if it's only of the Lord, then what do I care? If it blesses you or if it hurts you, <laughs> when you go through Jonah and the story of Jonah, you can't help but see that Jonah says, hey, it's not of me, but I really don't like those Ninevites. <laughs> I really don't want the Ninevites to live. Let them be destroyed. But it's not of me, it's of you. But I don't want to be the one to declare the word, so I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to sail across the sea. I'm going to go the other direction. It's not of me, it's of you. <laughs> now, no doubt Jonah can really say that to the Ninevites. It's not because there's anything special about me. If it was up to me, you all would have died. <laughs> but this is not the case with Joseph. Joseph makes it very clear. I don't want you to die. It's not in me. Nothing special about me. God shall give Pharaoh an, an answer of peace. When we can understand that we are really not a part of the equation, only a vessel that he will use, then all of a sudden our impact in the world around us 
will multiply and it will become magnanimous. That's not the right word. Abundant. That's a better word. Our ministry will become apparent and abundant when we are willing to put aside our own ego, our own self-esteem, what everybody says or thinks about us, when we're willing to push this aside and say, I'm going to answer the call of the Lord, but don't look to me. That's why Peter and John said to the lame man, look on us. And then when he looked on them, they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give we thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Look on us, but we don't have what you think you're looking for. We have what you really need. That Jesus is what you really need. It's not in who we are. It's not in our name. It's not in the title. It's not even in the name that's hanging above the door. I don't care what you call yourself, a Baptist, a Lutheran, a Pentecostal. It really doesn't matter to me. What matters is, is it about you or is it about the Lord? And if God is going to use you, truly, that's what matters to your ministry. Is it about you or is it about him? If it's about the Lord, there are going to be things that you don't want to do that you will do because it's about him. There are going to be things that you want to do that you're not going to do because it's about him. A servant doesn't tell the master what he will or will not do. He simply does what the master asks. Isn't it time that us as Christians make up our minds? We're going to do what the master asks. We're simply going to be servants. And if he asks of us a little thing or a big thing, it matters not. We're simply going to respond to the voice of the shepherd. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. And when the shepherd calls, we will follow. And we will do what he is asking, what he is requiring of us. It's just a part of being a shepherd or being the sheep and being a servant and carrying the vessel, being the vessel. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you later.